Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, November 19th, and today we are reading from the big book, page 65, the last paragraph that starts, We Went Back Through Our Lives. Today's readers are Penny E., Judy B., Fran, and Melanie. Thank you. The reference number for yesterday's awesome Step 4 panel meeting, the special meeting, is 3351. Again, that number is 3351. The OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps, please. Lois? Good morning, everyone. This is Lois, a compulsive overeater. I'm going to read the Overeaters Anonymous 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all people, persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to, 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 um, to people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Number 10, came, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and medita- meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Number, number 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. I will now call on Katie to read the 12 traditions, please. Katie? 
Hi, this is Katie, a compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are the trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise as problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, O-Readers Anonymous should be remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, since the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communications. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share in what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 65, on the bottom of the page, the last paragraph that starts with, We Went Back Through Our Lives. Let me again go through our readers. They are Penny E., Judy B., Fran, and Melanie. I will ask Penny if you could get us started, please. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Penny, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. We went back through... I'm sorry? Good morning. We went... Good morning. We went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong, To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us, and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse, and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. 
As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. And I would like to share, Penny E., recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, this is, you know, this is life and death, life, life and death. And before I share on this paragraph, one of the things that, I, that just jumps out to me is uh, on the other page, 64, is to get rid of them promptly. We're looking for anything that gets in our way of our usefulness to God, anything that keeps us in the disease promptly. And, um, you know, a, a lot of people said this on Friday, but I think it bears repeating that, um, you know, how, how free do you be, want to be and how long do you want to wait? You know, so we pray before we do this and we do it promptly. I was never one to believe that, you know, it took a year or two years to do this promptly. We do it promptly. So we go back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. And I looked up the word thoroughness today, thorough. And what it says is exhaustively complete, painstakingly accurate or careful absolute, specific. So knowing that this is life and death, I'm going to be real careful to include everything that is important. But we are looking for causes and conditions. So I don't need a list of a million names, you know, because the character defects are usually the same. But we have to be thorough and honest. If we're not going to be honest, if we're afraid to be, to let somebody else know. And we do this without thinking of the fifth step. You know, it doesn't matter that, oh, I may not want to read this to so-and-so. We just do the fourth step, you know. Don't even think about who you're going to give it to. And then it says, when we were finished, we carefully, uh, we considered it carefully. The first thing, the first thing apparent to us was that the world and the people were often quite wrong. I would say always wrong, you know. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us got. And this is, this, this is the, nit, the nitty-gritty, you know. This, this is it. I, I had low self-esteem because I thought nobody liked me. You know, they were wrong. They didn't include me. They didn't invite me, you know. Um, she was, uh, you know, oh, she looked at me funny. She told me she didn't like my hair. I blamed everybody. I didn't get the raise because, you know, he liked so-and-so better. She did, you know, she did a better job. Always poor, poor, poor Penny. Poor, poor, poor Penny. And in the other AA, in the other 12-step uh, program, they say, poor, poor, poor Penny. Poor, poor Penny. A drink. You know, poor, poor, poor Penny. Open up that box of donuts. So uh, it, 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 we always had our finger pointing out, pointing out, pointing out. And an incredible thing is going to happen if we follow these directions precisely as they're written here in that fourth column. And um, I'm excited to read it with all of you. So thanks, everybody, for letting me share. Have a God-filled day. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone else care to share on what was read? This is Kim. This is Janice. Go ahead, Kim, and then Janice. Thanks, Amy. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. So we fought. It reminds me of Bill's story when he says, quicksand stretched all around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. What happens when you're in quicksand, the more you fight, the more you sink down. The more you fight, the more you sink down. So the more we fought to try to have our own way, the worse things got. 
you know, I had to surrender. I had to surrender to this process because I always felt I had to fight. In order to feel safe, I had to fight, and if I didn't get my own way, I wasn't going to be safe. You know, and I love the way that, you know, about getting your own way, that was my whole life. And someone explained to me once that resentment is about not getting our own way in the past. Anger and depression is about not getting my own way in the present. And fear is about not getting my own way in the future. So this was the crux of my problem. This is why we have to put this down on paper. You know, I spent my life, you know, somebody asked me one time, do you want to be right or do you want to be peaceful? And from the depth of my soul, I wanted to be right. And what I was able to do is I was able to put these resentments down on paper. I was able to put these fears down on paper. I was able to put the sex conduct down on paper and realize the futility of it. That the more I fought, the worse matters got. And it, and it continues, as in war, the victor only seemed to win. Yeah, I seemed to win when you told me I was right. And you also had to admit you were wrong. But I became deeper and deeper in the quicksand with every time. And this process of writing them down and making these columns is going to be the bridge that's going to bring me to the speed freedom to feel peace. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Janice, please go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Janice. I am a compulsive overeater recovered today. Thank you, God. Good morning, Vision, for you. You know, here we are. Here we are in this process of step four. You know, and, and, and we're writing down these things, and we're going back through our lives, and we're being thorough and honest. It says nothing counted. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. So now I have to look at this stuff that I've written down. You know, and, and what does it tell me here? It says the first thing that would be apparent to me was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. That this world and its people were often quite wrong. But you know what? It also says that that's about as far as most of us got. That's about as far as most of us got, and that's what kept me stuck. That's what kept me blocked from the God of my understanding. I was prisoner there. But now I'm into this process, and it's telling me that I'm going to look farther now, that I'm going to look farther, that I'm going to look deeper, that I'm going to be more honest, more searching, and more truthful than I've ever been in my entire life. At least that's what the process was for me. And if I got stuck there, the usual outcome, they said, they said, is that people would continue to wrong us and we would stay stuck. We would stay sore in that place. But now I'm also ridden by remorse. I think back on some of those things that I've written down and it just makes me cringe. And so I stay stuck there. But now... As in war, the victor only seemed to win. And it says, I'm going to look further. I'm going to be even more searching. I'm going to be even more fearless because I'm on this path now. And I have the God of my understanding with me because in step three, I've turned my life and my will over so that I can do this step four work. You know, what was blocking me was my wrong thinking, making wrong judgments, 
having wrong fears and then taking wrong actions based on all of that. But now it's being revealed to me here. It's being revealed to me. And I want a way out. And so I'm going to keep working this process and moving ahead. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else care to share? Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Yes, thank you, Amy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Such important, you know, information here. Um, It says, to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. Uh, You know, step four, it was really the first opportunity um, that I had with the help of someone who was recovered and someone who had gone through this very same process to take a look, a very close uh, examination um, for the first time to see the kind of personality I had developed through my years of living a self-centered existence, a life run on self-will. So this statement here to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. Um, You know, that role of victim, that role of victim was one that I had carried through my life, and love and hate cannot exist on the same plane. One of them is going to have to be predominant. And so there is no way that I could live a life based on tolerance, based on faith, based on love and acceptance, if my mind was dominated by these thoughts of anger, these thoughts of resentment, and these thoughts of um, victimhood. You know, so the process of step four, you know, allowed for these resentments to be cleared out so that something of greater value and alignment with God could be, you know, could be replaced in my mind, could be placed in my mind. It says the usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Yeah, I stayed sore. And so I had self-righteous indignation, character assassination, um, and justification to continue to dig my fist into a cellophane bag because I was always pointing the finger. My life, the results of my life are because this happened. Even though it was almost two decades later, I was still singing that same song. It says here, sometimes it was remorse, and then we were sore at ourselves. Well, here comes another role, and that's the role of martyr. But it's the same thing. Guilt and love cannot exist on the same plane. We're still stuck. These are the two most predominant roles that we play, either victimhood or martyrdom. You know, that, that was it. That's the, those are our songs that we sing. And the, the step four process allowed for me to take a look. Look what you are doing, Leah. Look what you are doing. No wonder you cannot be free today because you're carrying around almost two decades of history on your shoulders. How can you be free? And isn't the goal to be free? And isn't the goal to allow uh, these resentments to be put aside and these guilt and remorse to be cast to aside so that you can live a life based on these principles that were taught in the program of recovery? So step four was such a vital, vital uh, action step to take a look deep, deep, and see that um, – you know, that this self-centered existence was robbing me of a life of freedom. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. 
Uh, this is Amy. I'd like to share. Boy, jumping on the bandwagon here, but this is so, so important. This is our first step into stopping pointing the finger at everybody else and looking at the three other fingers pointing back, i.e. me. You know, this idea of self-awareness, what part have I played in this life of resentment and selfishness and self-centeredness prior to program? I mean, it talks about it very clearly on page 62. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us and seeming without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So, yeah, it's as far as I got prior to step four was pointing the finger at everybody else. But then we had to look at ourselves in this program. And my sponsor kept saying to me every time I wanted to balk and I wanted to do it my way and I didn't want to look at the other, I only wanted to look at the other person, not at myself. What does it say further down on page 62? Above everything else, we alcoholics and compulsive overeaters must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. Because like I said, it blocks. If we don't move past this, it will block the continuing process of the rest of the steps. Our very livelihood of of recovery in this program depends on our willingness to be honest, open, and willing to look at ourselves and what part we play in that process. That's why it's so clear on page 65, resentful at the cause and what does it affect in me? What am I part, what part am I playing in this? And our moments of triumph are short-lived if we just stop and stay at the point where they wronged us and we're sore. You know, that was the fuel for so much of my binging. I had a bag of resentments. Anytime I needed some crazy, insane excuse, I could pull something from five days, five years, ten years back and have all the fuel I needed. I mean, who needed an excuse as a crazy composable reader? But if I wanted to rationalize in my crazy brain, I could pull on a resentment at any time. It is vital and crucial that we continue to work through this and be able to look at ourselves with a recovered sponsor. And with that, I'll pass. Anyone else like to share? Hi, my name is this Susan. What may I share? I think there's two people. I heard someone before Paula. Who was that, please? Hi, Susan from Vermont. Yes, go ahead, Susie, and then Paula, please. Thanks. Uh, Susan, recovery compulsive overeater. Uh, you know, my life uh, before program, we, it consisted of two columns. You know, I, they did it, and this is what they did to me. And um, I had no way of connecting that that's why I was so very miserable. I really did think it was about them. And the the... Uh, the the, the, the freedom it starts um, when it talks about the victor only seemed to win. You know, I didn't even feel like I was winning even when I was the victor in a certain situation. Um, I was miserable no matter what. And it wasn't until, um, you know, I, I got through the first three steps that I started seeing how unmanageable my life was and how unmanageable um, life uh, lived on my terms was unmanageable. Um, it is amazing to me today to, um, you know, I can catch myself in, in nanoseconds um, of having columns one and two, and um, and then I, I quickly understand that, you know, it's me. It's me. And that's the good news. Um, 
And I thought that column two was the truth. I really did. Um, it wasn't until I went through the steps with a uh, recovery sponsor that I that I saw I saw the lies in column two. That um, that those that the, those things listed in column two were things that I had created in my own mind to justify my own actions. And so today I'm very grateful um, to be. Um, uh, aware of the fact that um, there's a process every day, there's a process that I can go through when anything comes up that will allow me to see where my selfishness, fear, resentment, um, today, you know, uh, anger, all that, where it comes up and um, um, where it's about me. And then that's the good news because then I can, something can be done about it. Um, I just wanted to hop in and share. I'm sick today, and I thought I better get on this meeting because, you know, that's another one of those uh, areas where I can uh, start blaming when I don't feel well. So I wanted to hop in on the meeting. I thank everyone so much for being here this morning. I pass. Thank you, Susan. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you, Amy. And uh, I'll get in on that grateful part. Grateful I am to be here. And I'm going to scoot right on down to the last couple of lines because this is where I always ended up with everything. And I didn't understand why such a description did Bill put. As in war. I mean, I put the picture in my head. War is terrible. And I mean, that's, what a description. That's, that's what you need to use, that kind of word. And then I looked at it again. The victor only seemed to win. <laughs> that's crazy. There's always a winner and a loser, isn't there? And that's it. It wrote only, and that's what I un- underline, only seemed to. So what did they win? Tell me. They look around, the victor. Broken lives, perhaps? Death, dying, wounds that were inflicted? Buildings burned? What did they win? That's what I realized. What did I win? At what cost? The hurts, the humiliations that I because I was only looking at me. But then it says, our moments of triumph were short-lived. I mean, you know that first moment. (laughs) Gotcha. I won. I'm right. You're wrong. And then you would see the eyes that turned around, turned down. You know, there's a word, and this word described to me, Pyra Victor. Victory achieved at such great cost that is nearly a defeat. That was it. At such great cost. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else care to share on what was read? All right. We'll go ahead on to Judy B. If you would take the next paragraph, please. Uh, Good morning. Good morning, everyone. This is Judy B. Recovered, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic, whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns, and we drink again. 
and with us to drink is to die. A, a wonderful paragraph describing uh, what, what this deep resentment will do to us. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, when I did my fourth step, I, I didn't really feel that I had that many resentments. And then as I worked through the fourth step and, um, and someone was kind enough to point out to me that to feel hurt over and over and over again is part of being resentful because even though I'm not, uh, I wasn't able at that point to say that I had ill feelings toward these people, I was judging them. I was thinking that they weren't behaving the way I really thought they should behave. Uh, I didn't feel that I hated them, but I certainly was upset that they weren't behaving the way I thought they should behave. And and it it became clear to me that when I expect other people to act in a way that pleases me, I, I'm being self-centered and and just not not dealing with people. <clears throat> excuse me, not dealing with people with, with real love. Um, I'm putting myself first. I'm, I'm wanting what I want. And um, we find that this is fatal. And it is. When we, when we expect things from other people um, and live our life as if they should be giving it to us, we, we do block the sunlight of the spirit. We are not living in the moment. And, uh, and our goal, our, our purpose, and, you know, our hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience. This, re, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We, we have to discover this as we do this step four, that, that um, oh, that this is just, this will destroy us. This will destroy us if we continue to expect from other people that which we think they should give us. And um, I, I'm just so grateful to have recognized that and that it's, it's not just about great, great, big, deep hatred and anger. It's about some of those feelings that we, that we allow to come up uh, toward others. And, uh, and it is fatal. It is fatal. Uh, I'm just so glad to have learned that as I worked through step four. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else care to share on what was read? This is Janice. Go ahead, Janice. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amy. You know, this paragraph has such hope in it, and and as well as the truth. You know, as well as the truth. You know, it is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. But, you know, when we're doing this inventory, the food is down. The food is down. You know, we are not compulsively overeating, and so we are opened up. Our mind is cracked open here. And this is our hope. You know, the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience. A spiritual experience is what I'm after here. And, you know, insanity that I lived in was the inability to see the truth. I couldn't see the truth when I was in the food. Well, now I'm not in the food, and now the truth is right there in front of me. And every time I write these things down, I leave room for more things. You know, I put something down, the power begins to diminish in this thing that I am looking at so truthfully, and then more room opens up in my mind. And, you know, it is fatal for me 
It is fatal for me to stay in that place, compulsively overeating and living with that kind of futility. It is fatal. But I am in this process now, it says. And if I stay in this process, I will be free. You know, I will be free. And sanity will be returned to me because I will be able to see the truth about myself. You know, it's a self-searching process. It's about me so that I can be unblocked, so that I can be in that place of spiritual experience. That's where I want to live. And I have to, I have to look at these things in order to get there. And if I don't, if I don't, grab hold of this process and keep writing these things down and work with someone in whom the problem has been solved. The insanity of alcohol will return. The insanity of compulsive overeating will return. And I will pick up again. But I don't want to live like that anymore. And you are leading me through this process and you are telling me that what I will get is the sunlight of the Spirit. The sunlight of the Spirit you know, it, uh, this inventory process allowed, enables me to see the truth about myself. And in that truth is freedom. In that truth is freedom. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else care to share on what was read? This is Penny E. Go ahead, Penny. Good morning, good morning. Penny good morning. E., a recovered compulsive overeater. So much in here, it's hard to uh, narrow down what I want to share about. But um, we found that it's fatal. Fatal means I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And so I go to that last sentence or close to the last sentence. And with us, to drink is to die. Uh, Again, I always say this is our inheritance. Bill and a 100 recovered alcoholics left this for us. It's our inheritance. He's telling us they're recovered. They're talking from experience. Dr. Silkworth says we can believe anything they say. So he's telling us, you know, this is infinitely grave, infinitely. It doesn't get any bigger or deeper than infinitely grave. So to drink, uh, and the insanity of alcohol will return and we drink again. And with me, with us, to drink is to die. When I was in the food, you know, I was on a slow, slow death My parents were on a suicide watch. It was just a matter of time, you know. If I didn't kill myself by my own hand because of the frustration, I didn't understand why I couldn't live with the food and I couldn't live without the food, the diseases were going to get me, you know, the high blood pressure, the heart disease, the diabetes, uh, depression, uh, and so on and so forth. It's to die. This is life and death. This is, I'm, I'm not, we're not playing around here. You know, I, I don't get up in the morning and get on the phone with 150 other people because I have nothing else to do. You know, this is life and death for me. And I've also heard around in the rooms, uh, whatever, wherever it comes from, it doesn't really matter, but uh, we cannot have two thoughts in our head at one time. So if we know that resentment and pushing, look, you know, pointing the finger at somebody else is the number one offender, you know, the number one offender, the more I go to you and say, you know what she did? You know what he did? You're not going to believe, you know. I need to abstain from that. I need to abstain from that. But the more I do that, and then you say to me, you're right. What a jerky thing for him to do. You know, that is uh, going to kill me. Again, right or, or peace, right or peace. 
So I have an ulterior motive today. I have an ulterior motive just to skip that whole part because it's, it's, it's in our literature. You know, it's a spiritual axiom. When someone else makes us upset, we have to take a look at ourselves. That's 100% of the time. I can skip all that junk. I can skip all that stuff that's going to lead me back to the food. Abstain from talking about other people, complaining about other people, and so on and so forth. I want to live today. And you know what? I want all of you to live with me. Love you all. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Penny. Anyone else care to share on what was read? This is Christy. Go ahead, Christy. Hi, good morning, a vision for you. This is Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I have a definition here of resentment in my little big book dictionary that says a persistent feeling of ill will and suppressed anger caused by a sense of injustice, insult, injury, offense, or wrongdoing, or wrong done. To resent basically means to feel again strongly or to relive again. And then in the passage we just read, I mean, it says in here that, you know, I'm just pulling out the phrases and the words, you know, futility and unhappiness. Um, infinitely grave, fatal, um, you know, insanity returns and we drink again. And with us, of course, to drink is to die. We had to be free of anger, um, you know, resentment, anger, things, these things are poison. And I know for me, you know, it, it, you know, realistically, if I look at resentment about things that have happened to me, there's nothing I can do to take those back or change them. They have, they're done. You know, as much as I'd love to go back and relive um, my Sunday because I had a lovely day, it was beautiful weather here in Minnesota, and I'd love to just wake up today and live that day over again. Um, but, it, but it's gone. You know, I'm in Monday now. I'm in Monday. I'm in Monday mode. I'm gearing up to go to work, and, um, you know, I'm going to live it today. And that's what the big book teaches me is to live in today. You know, I work with a woman, and she, um, you know, she's worked at my company for a couple of decades, and she still has, um, you know, she got a performance review, you know, I don't know, 15 years ago that she still has a copy of, and she'll still talk about it. And from the outside looking in, I can listen to her talk about that, and I can think to myself, wow, wow, you know, how much time have you wasted thinking about something that's already happened? You know, the person that gave you that performance review doesn't even work here anymore. You haven't had this job, you know, that particular job for, you know, 15 years. And from the outside, you know, from an outsider looking in, that's easy for me to say. But that's how I lived my life. That is how I lived my life before recovery. You know, resenting, you know, you know, the 70s when I was in junior high and high school. You know, resenting the 80s when I was, you know, I hated the job I was in and I didn't like the people I worked for. You know, and here... You know, here I was in the 2000s thinking about those kinds of things, wasting my life thinking about things in the past and resenting them. You know, and it wasn't just things that happened in the way past. It was things that happened, you know, that morning on my way to work. You know, maybe someone cut me off in traffic. Um, you know, to hang on to that stuff, as the big book tells me, is is not good. 
you know, it's not a good idea. This paragraph says this is not this is not the way to live in recovery. And today in my life, you know, after 11 years of being in recovery, I know I can't afford to live this way. I absolutely cannot afford to live this way. I need to name it, claim it, and dump it as soon as possible. I need to call somebody up. I need to turn it over. I need to write it out. I need to do whatever I need to do to get it out of my head because I know it, you know, it begins a spiral that quickly, quickly, quickly can be out of control for someone like me. And I'm just so grateful that today I have those tools so I don't have to live in the past. I don't have to live in, in the time that's already spent. I can just live in today. I can just live in the present. And for that, I am so grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Anyone else? Or what was that? Monica. Was that Katie, I think I heard before Monica? Yeah. Hi, yeah, this is Katie. Thanks. Uh, this is Kate. I'm a newcomer. I um, I just really love this meeting. Thank you, guys. Um, I I wanted to share on an experience that I had, um, where I started to feel some resentment because things weren't going my way um, towards my higher power, and I realized like that day um was not going very well <laughs> that day at work I, I was i was struggling i was fighting like the current of life i just anything that i tried to accomplish was brought on with either wanting to run away and hide or wanting to you know rebel with anger and um that experience like and what what program had taught me i you know, I, I watched it happening and I, I kind of, you know, for the first part of the day was white knuckling it through the day and, you know, I I reached out um, just through texting and, and calling, uh, but really it was when I got home and I, and I started writing that I realized that I was resentful at my higher power and, and I realized, like, what was what was underneath all of that and, um, you know, thinking that I have the ability to run my life, which is not ever, you know, not ever worked out for me. I, it's always, you know, become this horrible mess that left me, you know, feeling like I, I don't know, just couldn't deal. And um, I had a little bit of it that day when I, was resentful and separated from my higher power. Like, I just felt like this, that type of separation to me now that I have developed a connection to a higher power, um, it does feel like death. It does feel like I am not, I'm not living anymore. Like, when when I when I'm separated, I'm just I'm I feel in the dark. So uh, I just wanted to you know kind of recap how this program has helped me. Like when I start to get in that realizing, like this is serious. This is my this is my life. This is you know I need to um, get connected. I need to to reach out to other people in the program and reach out to my higher power. And that's the only thing that's gonna really helped me. Um, so I just wanted to share that. And uh, I don't know if 
you could leave some contact info for outreach calls. It would be 412-654-6078. That's uh, Eastern Standard Time. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Kate, and welcome. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you, Amy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And this paragraph here is very important here. You know, it's the, these 100 recovered people have been through all this experience. And this, and this paragraph, they're really throwing some strong words here at us. And they're telling me why I should not hold on to resentment. That what, what has it done for me? You know, it causes unhappiness. It's very grave. It's fatal. It shuts me off from God. And it can kill me. So I need to know this. You know, what has resentment done for me? And it boils down to really simply, simply I think, here. You know, how has your way been working? Is it working for you? These people are telling us mm, didn't work for them. And they are going to show us here in this book exactly how we can get beyond this. What does our resentments do? For me, it gave me that restless, irritable, and discontentment, that unease that I didn't know what was going on, and I buried it with food. And they're telling me it's resentment. And, and, and they're going to give us how we can work through this and see our part in this, and we can change things. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. This is Katie. Leia. Katie. And then Leia. Hi, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, well, the, just to bring it back to where we are, we're on step four. Uh, we've written these columns, and this is, you know, one paragraph later that um, I think it's it's sort of, uh, trying to reel us in because it can be very overwhelming to write all this stuff down. And it's very easy if you're, you know, honest about what happened in your life, you're going to see that people wronged you and that you do have resentment. But what this is showing us is that you have to keep pressing on. You know, deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. And that is not why we work this program. We don't work this program so that we can um, live in that vicious cycle of, you know, looking at our past and being um, resentful and overwhelmed and depressed. We, um, we do this so that we can move through it. And, you know, I spent my whole life avoiding pain, and I did that by numbing out with substances, uh, food, you know, and other things. But this... You know, we're assuming that if you're taking a fourth step, you are sober. You are abstinent. And so we're not picking up the food, and we're going through this. And the, the promises come, come true once we go through this process. But it's telling us here that um, if we, our hope is in the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, and we can't live in, uh, in resentment and fear and anger, that will kill us. That will lead us back to the food faster than anything. And so hang on because the good news is coming, that if you keep working these steps, if you work all the way through these, you will have those, uh, will only focus on the fingers that are pointing at you, and you will 
um, let God be God in the other person's life, whoever you're resentful at, and <clears throat> learn to let go of that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Go ahead, Leo. <laughs> Thank you so much. I wanted to focus on a two sentences here. Uh, to the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? So what the big book is saying here, to the precise extent that we permit these, meaning I'm allowing this to happen. <laughs> I am succumbing. I am, I am, you know, making a decision to nurture and to nourish and to stroke and to feed these resentments. And victimhood gets its power from resentments. You know, there's a lot of energy. Resentments contain a great deal of energy. So the big book is saying to me here, to the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? Um, they're, they're giving me the responsibility now. I can't keep pointing a finger and saying they made me this way. I mean, the big book is telling me, okay, Leah, all right. Do you want to be free or not? You know, and how free do you want to be? Because it's time to start taking responsibility for your thinking and for your behavior because you can't afford to blame these things on other people anymore. And the greatest thing, uh, you know, was for me to feed these resentments and to rationalize and justify that I'm not doing what I should do because of this situation, and continue to do the things I shouldn't do because of this situation, you know, because it's all their fault. And step four here uh, allowed me to see that if I don't start doing something about this type of thinking, about this self-centeredness and this selfishness and this resentment, then I'm going to continue to do the same old behavior. Whether I'm abstinent or whether I'm compulsively overeating, it doesn't make any difference. I mean, obviously, the food is down at this point, but I'm going to keep on hurting people, and they're going to continue to retaliate, and I'm going to continue to resent, and then I'm going to have remorse, and that cycle continues. It says here on this statement, for when harboring, which means holding on to such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. What's my problem? Lack of power is my dilemma. If I'm going to have these resentments, it is a barrier to the very power I need. No wonder I can't keep the food down. I don't have the power to do so. It says the insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again, which reminds me about the obsession of the mind. Yes, the food is down by step four. Absolutely, 100%. Of course, the food is down. But I've stopped thousands of times. Why can't I stay stopped? That's what everybody says. Why can't I stay stopped? Can't stay stopped because we don't have just a physical problem. The food plan does not take care of our minds. It does not. It does not address the spiritual malady. The program of recovery addresses the obsession of the mind. These steps address the obsession of the mind. Because through these steps, we are transformed. Our personality is transformed from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. And in that process, we are restored to sanity. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Anyone else would like to share on what was read? Okay. Fran, could you please go ahead and take the next paragraph? Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Good morning. Vision for you. 
This is Frank, compulsive overeater. We turned back to the list, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. Fran, I beg your pardon, but I believe we missed a paragraph, or am I losing my mind? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't. See, uh, I had the little book. All right. Um, if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things were our poison. Very sorry. <laughs> Pass. Thank you, Fran. Would anyone like to share on what was read? Either paragraph? This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning again, Amy. Hello, everyone again. This is Kim. And uh, I love this paragraph. You know, because I think it's important to look at the, the words in the context of when this book was written. Because, you know, I grew up in, as a child in the 70s with Sesame Street. So when I think of the grouch, I think of that, gra- that green muppet that's in that trash can. You know, and when I think of brainstorming, I think of being in a marketing meeting and everybody throwing out the ideas of what's of what's the cool, what's the new marketing idea. You know, but in the 1930s, it says the grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. Well, the grouch is someone who is habitually grumpy, just grumpy all the time, and the brainstorm was someone who was had a you know was pretty calm, but then would have these outbursts, these sudden outbursts of anger. You know, and when I was a kid, I was definitely the brainstorming. But I would just say, I'm just being a little Irish. My Irish is coming out. That's why I'm having these outbursts. So this is what they're saying, that if we were to live, we had to be free of anger, whether we're the grouch who's constantly, habitually grumpy all the time, or we were the brainstorm who had these sudden and, and violent outbursts. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men. You know, and I used to think, well, it's not fair. Other people can do this. Why can't I? Then I looked up what the word dubious meant. Dubious means not to be relied upon, morally suspect. So even for the quote-unquote normal people, anger is poisonous. Anger is poisonous. But for us, for us, if we are compulsive overeaters, it is fatal. So I love that the grouch or the brainstorm, however we choose to do this, is not for us. And how can we be free of this? By working the inventory steps to clear up our past and by applying steps 10, 11, and 12 in our present. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim. I'd like to share. My name's Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater. If we, ha- if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. I've heard said in the rooms that this idea of self-will and selfishness keeps us from the program but that anger and resentment drives us out. And I, I understand that, and they're making it very clear, based on what was described in the last paragraph, how fatal it is to hold on to this type of thinking and this type of behavior, to hold on to these resentments. And, and my guess is, you know, there's people on the line that have felt that the way I have early in program that said, you haven't been hurt the way I've been hurt. These resentments... You know, I, I held on and I and I nurtured and stroked, like Lily was saying, these resentments for, for many, many years. 
but at a great, great price. It blocked the sunlight of the spirit. It blocked any type of peace of mind or happiness. And it comes to a choice here. They're saying, if we want to live, if I want to live. I mean, I actually heard Kim say this on Friday. It's great. Resentments are a poison I take, hoping that it kills somebody else. I paid a great price for holding on to those resentments. And if I wanted to live and get the promises that this program and those who have gone before recovered have, then I had to make a choice. Just like in the beginning of the program, like on page 24, it says here, if you're seriously as alcoholic as we were, there's no middle-of-the-road solution. You know, we were in a position where life was impossible. You know, we, we could either go on to the bitter end or pick up the spiritual kit that these 12 steps give us. And they're saying this here as well, that there's no middle of the road with resentments and anger. You've got to either let them go or you're going to hold on to them. And that's my choice. I have to make a choice. Am I going to work this program and work this step like my life depends upon it, letting go of those resentments no matter how hard it may be? But, you know, I'm not alone anymore. I have a higher power. I have a power greater than myself. So when I feel I can't let go of those resentments, I can use my higher power now, and I can let those go because I want the freedom. I want to be free. This is what this program is about, to be free of the mental obsession that I no longer crave or want that food anymore because I have a higher power. I have something much, much better. And it's a choice for me today, and it's a choice for us when we work work this step. And with that, I'll pass. Anyone else? I want to unmute, please, if you'd like to share. Okay, then we'll move on. But if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to this paragraph that we turn back to the list, and let's address that paragraph again. So uh, actually, um, Melanie, if you're there, why don't you read that paragraph again, please? I'm here, Amy. I was just turning back. Um, let's see. The we turned back part. Got it. We turned back to the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. Hi, my name is Melanie. I'm a compulsive overeater calling in from Minnesota today. And when I look at this and I read this, when we turn back to our list, it impressed upon me again just how critical this four-step work is. This is not the first time we have really looked at this list. It was going to really make the difference for me in the future. I'm pausing because, Amy, do you want to continue? It's um, 7 o'clock here, and we can come back to this tomorrow? Yes. I was going to uh, close after you. I just realized what time it was. I beg your pardon. So if you'd like to just wrap up, and then I'll go ahead and close the reading, close with the reading. 
if that's all right. Absolutely. It sounds good. Um, what I would like to continue with is, is saying, and then we can share on this again tomorrow, is that I I was going to see for the first time. The, the second sentence is what I want to look at. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. And that word prepared means simply that I was ready. I was ready to look at this from a different angle. Before, as it indicated, I only looked at what you did to me, and that is absolutely as far as I got because of my justification, my rationalization of my anger and my ire that I had against this particular person, place, or thing. And I finally could see that the world and its people dominated me. And in that state, how much time did it take from my life? I mean, even in the simplest of things. In the simplest of things, like, for example, um, um, it's 7 o'clock and the meeting should be over. (laughs) And it just takes my time. I can't even focus on this particular sentence. What is that taking from me? The resentment around whether or not I'm going to go to... um, to Lowe's to pick up a new part for this demolition or this kitchen project that we're doing, and we didn't get to that. It dominated me for three or four hours yesterday. It is killing me. It's taking up all my focus to be or do anything else that was going to develop myself to be of any kind of, of, of benefit to anything or anybody, let alone myself. How was I going to escape from that? I couldn't. For 50 years, I could not ever escape from any of those things. I tried, I tried, I tried, and thank God, I will just wrap it up really quick here and simply say, proof positive, miraculous as it is, working the fourth step did that for me, and I'll pass and visit more about it tomorrow. Thanks. Thank you, Melanie. Absolutely, we will delve into this for sure tomorrow. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We'll now close with page 164 in the big book, followed by the serenity prayer. And I'll go ahead and read that, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road to happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.